Have you ever longed to escape reality or fantasized about stepping into someone else's shoes, even for just a little while? Hi, I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Hawley. We host CBC's Play Me, the immersive podcast that transforms theater into addictive audio fiction. Join us for a new season and disappear into a world rich with drama, where every show delivers hypnotizing stories and unveils intriguing characters with secrets. Play me wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Okay, so do you know any of those people who read like 50 books a year? I, I am jealous of those people. Wait, are you one of those people? Don't tell me. Today on the podcast, a lot of great books on the way this year. You'll hear about the state of publishing and the books to look out for. I'm Alameen Abdul Mahmoud. This is Commotion. Listen, it's it's the first week of the year, and we're doing the thing you do on the first week of the year. We're easing into it. We're doing a lot of looking forward this week. And today we're excited to talk about the books, the books that we're excited to read this year, and why in so many cases, just the fact of a little book making it to you, that's a thing to celebrate. That is truly an incredible accomplishment on its own right. Because here's the thing, book sales are declining, and because of that, publishers are looking for safer bets, say memoirs by princes or pop stars. In general, it is a daunting landscape for a lot of authors but you know what? There are also some bright points, and we're going to talk about those bright points. Dentsu Fan Lee is here. Makda Mulatu is here. Taja Eisen is here. Taja Jen Makda. Welcome to Commotion. How's it going, everybody? Happy New Year. Happy New hey, Year. Happy New Year. I don't, it's great I, to be here. I don't know what the rule is for like how often I can keep saying Happy New Year. I'm going to keep doing it until maybe <laughs> January 20th, and then I'll cut myself off. So wow. I know. I'm, I'm a generous New Year person. Listen, I'm I'm excited to do this. Mac, I'm going to start with you, because last year, on this day, actually, 2023 mm-hmm. was kicked off with a bang, and that was Prince Harry's memoir, and he smashed all kinds of records. You were working in a bookstore when it came out. Can you just talk about the bit of the pandemonium, because you witnessed it firsthand? What was it like? Yeah, I was working at a bookstore when this book came out. I will say, I think my experience of that release week was a bit different, because I was working at an indie bookstore. and so <laughs> Fair enough, yes. Yeah, the conversations you were having about Spare were more like, should we carry it? Especially if we're a bookstore that has a certain kind of ethos or politics. And right. so, because everybody else was some, carrying it. Yeah, yeah. There was some chaos around that. We did end up carrying it. And, you know, I will say, in the most judgment free way, we <laughs> did get some, you know, new customers into the store, people that we didn't typically have. And that's always great. It's nice to have a new audience, you that- know? I appreciate a judgment-free assessment. Uh, what do you think is like the, <laughs> the lasting effect of that book on this year, do you think? God, it's kind of hard to say because I think while the appetite for celebrity memoirs is still very much a thing, I mean, mm-hmm. I would call 2023 the year of the celebrity memoir. Mm-hmm. I think that Harry is a different kind of celebrity, right? Um, the book was serving a different function potentially than celebrity memoirs of the past, where Mm. I think, you know, these books can be used to rehab a particular actor or musician or public figure's image. And I think at the end of the day, Harry didn't have to write this book. Like, yes, there was a lot of 
you know, talk about the way in which he left the royal family. But I don't think he necessarily needed to, like, go on the PR defense mm-hmm. in the same way that, like, maybe a Pamela, maybe a Brittany, maybe a Paris, who right. all put out books last year, felt like they had to as a way of, like, reclaiming their narratives. Yeah. Um, I also think that, like, this book came out in a year where, like, we were getting really tired of celebrities, you know? We were, like, <laughs> struggling to get our groceries and, like, turning on the news and seeing all of these horrible headlines. And it yeah. was like, maybe we should not center celebrities so much. I don't know. Just a thought, you know? And so while biography sales are on the rise and the book, like you said, broke so many records, maybe it's actually heralding the end of the celebrity memoir. Who knows? Well, if it's the end, it ended with a bang. Because like as you mentioned, um, after Spare, uh, we, we had those big celebrity memoirs. The Pamela Anderson one, the Britney Spears one, the Paris Hilton one. Uh, Jen, if 2023 was that year, the year of celebrity memoirs, as Macri just put it, it was also the year the publishers proved they actually don't have to spend a lot of money on marketing and promotion because these celebrities, they kind of sell themselves. But you know what? You wrote a book last year. You're an author. How does that land for you? Um, well, I will say that like my book and Prince Harry's book came out basically at the same time. So at some stores, my face was beside his face, which <laughs> fell out. I, I, felt, I felt a thing. Yeah. I felt a thing. But I think of these like sort of really big books as sort of like gateway drugs. Um, you know, like Max mm. was saying, it brings people into the store. And like I often thought like if somebody really enjoyed, say, Michelle Williams's version of Britney Spears' audiobook because who didn't enjoy that? Um, they <laughs> might think they might think audiobooks are my new thing. What right. about uh, a book about celebrity written by a Chinese Canadian middle aged lady? Why not? Like why not do that? Um, and I think truly, in general, books don't make a ton of profit. Books by regular people uh, don't make a lot of money. So I do think that these big books uh, essentially finance the rest of us through the publishers, through those sales, which I don't mind. And I do appreciate, you know, Prince Harry's dedication to charity work for authors like me. So it's fine as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I, pr- I do appreciate your humility. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't I don't think you have to bring your humility to this space. Your book was not called Some Book by Chinese Canadian Middle-Aged Lady. It was called Super Fan: How Pop Culture Broke My Heart. And it was one of the year's best. Stop with this humility, Jen Suk Fan Lee, but it's fine. Uh, Taja, I want to talk about a piece that you wrote for The Walrus. So you wrote this piece about how tough it is right now to sell books. And the last sentence is the thing that we're getting out of the intro that that, that really packs a punch, which is that every book that finds you is a minor miracle. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. As Jen was gesturing to there, you know, there are these big sort of tentpole titles that publishers have that make the money that keeps the lights on and sort of funds the rest of us whose books often lose publishers money. Um, So we're talking about like, our Stephen King's, our Colleen Hoover's, our Emily Henry's, our big celebrity memoirs. Um, And because those are the books that are expected to make the bulk of the profit, it can sort of create this this feedback loop where um, because those books will reach the biggest audience, they also get, you know, the majority of the marketing muscle and the, Mm. you know, big flashy publicity campaigns and the big tours and the... um, And where that can leave the rest of the books is that it's a little bit of a wild west. It's sort of if a book makes it into your awareness, let alone the bestseller lists, it kind of relies on this cocktail of luck and good timing and an author's presence on social media and their pre-existing audience. Um, So, you know, when you think about it that way, when you think about, you know, here's this tiny group of books that have a lot of muscle behind them. And then there's like thousands and thousands and thousands of others. It does seem uh, there is something that seems kind of, you know, lucky and miraculous for a book to even make it into your awareness, mm-hmm. let alone, you know, you decide to 
spend your money on it and give it your attention. Uh, did I have to say one of the big conversations we've been having um, about the universe of books and publishing is, a, is, is TikTok and how TikTok has kind of changed at least the calculus of how people think about, you know, um, promoting their book, positioning their book, who talks about their book, who doesn't talk about their book, who, you know, how that plays into this minor miracle of a book reaching you. Uh, I, if we were going to talk about book talk as the thing that it's kind of exploded in the last couple of years, how much of a factor do you think TikTok will be this year when it comes to influencing what people buy and read? Um, TikTok is a real difficult thing for me to understand. I'll be honest with you. But I, I will say that like book talk, I think, you know, in general, social media for books tends to trend a little bit behind social media for everything else. So like, whereas, you know, we knew that like social media could be very toxic, that mm. like things can get out of hand. It only really happened to book talk in the last little while yeah. uh, where toxicity, you know, reared its ugly head. So I think I don't know whether the next year, whether book talk will be so much of a topic of conversation. What I'm hoping, and this is like perhaps the optimist in me, is that <laughs> the toxicity will kind of like ebb away and people will still continue to talk about books on book talk and perhaps be on good behavior because we're tired of the bad behavior. I'm just hoping. I'm not, I'm just spitballing there. <laughs> I, I love this genuine optimism that is just bursting out of you. Magda, what about you? How do you see book talk influencing the culture this year? I'm the exact opposite. I love mess. Um, I'm going for the drama. <laughs> um, yeah, I was actually really reluctant to join TikTok in general. Um, and I held off actually until like last fall. Um, but before I even officially joined BookTok, I was, you know, hearing some of its drama kind of filter through yeah. other social media platforms. Um, and yeah, it's really interesting now. Like if you walk into any big box retailer, like, there are whole tables dedicated to showcasing book talk books and they're in like every section of the store virtually. Um, yeah. I think book talk has this reputation for being this like equalizing force or this democratizing force. And yes, it is to a certain extent. Um, you know, people kind of claim that it's the easiest platform to go viral on and mm -hmm. that may well be the case, but I think it still suffers from the same kinds of problems mm. that every other digital platform suffers from. And I think we still have to ask some critical questions about how much access it actually affords. But I really appreciate the way in which BookTok has put genre fiction at the kind of forefront of our conversation around books. Mm. I am a longtime romance and fantasy reader. So I really love seeing the shine that those genres have been getting thanks to yeah. BookTok. Um, and I'm really curious to see, like, if it kind of follows this current trajectory where more and more authors are getting on the platform, because I think for so long I associate it as being a reader's platform. And now kind of like similar to, you know, like those old videos of like Halsey complaining that her label had made her do a bunch of like branded TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're kind of getting a lot of authors jumping over onto the platform, whether by choice or by force from their publishers. Um, so I'm curious to see what happens with that aspect of it as well. I'm going to make a TikTok tomorrow where I'm complaining about stuff. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> Honestly, I would follow it. Like, I'm ready for that version of Den Suk Fan Lee. Let's go. Although, what yeah. I like, Mekta, in your answer there is that you sort of weaved in the idea of, like, you being a longtime reader of fantasy and romance. Um, and those are genres that I think, like, the, the, the book establishment, the sort of book critic establishment is kind of, like, abandon those genres um, for, a, for a particular long time um and it's largely because like the readers tend to be women tend to be young women um and the i don't know the fancy book critics circle
circles tend to sort of cater towards men, even though we kind of know that women buy the majority of books. So I don't really know what's going on with that. So it feels like TikTok has kind of had a democratizing effect on the way that we talk about books. But is that putting it too generously? Like, am I giving too much power to TikTok when I think of it that way? Too much power. Hard to say. Hard to say. Um, I think it's just, it's nice to have options, yeah. you know? Um, and so I don't think it hurts us, whether in terms of discourse, whether in terms of um, increasing the diversity of writers and genres mm. um, to have something like this, changing the way that we think about what is legitimate, what has cultural value. Um, so I don't think you're giving it too much power, actually. I'm going to say that. I'm going to stand 10 toes down on that hey, and thanks, say Pat. that like, that's actually, yeah, <laughs> that's actually a positive that we can embrace wholeheartedly. So, Tadja, when we sort of look at the landscape, we have BookTok. It's this massive but maybe waning influence, maybe hopefully waning influence. We also have Goodreads, and you spent a lot of time writing about that platform and why it can be so terrible for books, but still in many ways so important. Is Goodreads going to change anytime soon in your assessment? <laughs> oh, Goodreads. I, I will say by way of a disclaimer before I go off on Goodreads that I still use it. I'm a very dedicated user of that platform. I love my little <laughs> my little uh, reading challenge ticker, you know, yes. setting my goal for the I am one of those, you know, 50 plus books a year people. Oh, my God. Um, All right. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's fine. It's <laughs> um, I but it's, you know, Goodreads, I feel like has this sort of it's not, it has a bit of a mission clarity problem. Like it's not quite clear who it's for, what it's supposed to do. Mm. Um, is it a platform for readers? Is it a platform for writers to promote themselves? Um, you know, if it is a platform for people to have great conversations about books that they love, why does it keep doing the opposite and like breeding these really toxic conversations about books that people say they hate that they haven't even read yet? Mm. Um, at the same time, you know, it has this incredible base of readers. There's 90 million users on that platform. And, you know, publishers know that. And it is also this incredible opportunity to like do book giveaways. And they have these beautiful seasonal list roundups. And like, if you can get a bunch of people to click on that want to read button, that's a sort of crude indicator of how that book will perform in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think Goodreads is going to continue to be a really important kind of load bearing pillar of publicity in the book world. Um, but I think it could be so much better. Um, and I think, you know, if there were, if there was more sort of content moderation, as they keep sort of saying mm -hmm. <laughs> there will be or is, um, if they could find a way to sort of minimize like the review bombing controversies where authors books that haven't even come out yet get sort of piled on uh, before people have had a chance to read them. Uh, Goodreads has, has the, the potential to be a really powerful force for, you know, for books, for literary community. Mm -hmm. um, but for like, for as long as it stays kind of in the same state, I think it's going to, we're going to see it keep breeding controversies. Most people think they know all they need to know about Christian rock. Whether you think it's cheesy propaganda pretending to be cool. Or if you think it's the only pop music unsullied by worldly vices. You'll find something to love on Rock That Doesn't Roll. I'm Leah Payne, author of A History of Contemporary Christian Music. And I'm Andrew Gill, a public radio producer who grew up on Christian rock. On Rock That Doesn't Roll, we're talking with people who loved Christian rock in its peak era and learning how it affected them as they grew up. Listen to Rock That Doesn't Roll wherever you get your podcasts.
if folks are just joining us, my name is Alameen Abdul Mahmoud. This show is called Commotion. And with me today, I got Dan Sukhvan Lee, Mac Dimaladu, and Taja Eisen. We're all here to talk about books, the books that we're excited about, the books that we're reading in 2024 and why. But before we get there, Jen, I got to say, there's there was a lot of fretting about AI in 2023. That's something that we'll all sort of remember as a marker of that year and speculation that this coming year will be the year that it really has an impact. What are, what are you hearing? What are you anticipating? What are you thinking about? Um, so I see it in a couple of different areas, not necessarily in the actual creation of, of the content of a book, but mm. in, in, first of all, cover design um, and also in terms of audiobook narration. Those two issues, I think, are going to be um, continually addressed over the next year because I don't think that there has been much discussion about it yet. Um, in publishing for our company, I'm an editor for an independent publishing company. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been an, it's been a really big topic of conversation with cover design um, because authors, you know, when you're collaborating on a cover design, authors will have a Pinterest board or whatever, and they'll send you ideas and they'll say, I really like this image. And some authors may not know that a lot of those images that they're choosing are AI generated and floating around um, on the internet. And I think that, you know, with my company also, we do produce a lot of audiobooks and um, the push to save a lot of money is really high. Um, mm. We have a policy to not use any AI anything, um, which gets a bit gray because there are like AI tools in like Adobe Photoshop and stuff. Right. But, um, but I think that. in those, yeah. no, no, no. But yeah, we don't mean that. But the, in those two areas, I think we're going to see it um, still become a really hot topic in publishing anyway. Uh, Taja, real quick to you, where are you seeing AI show up? Um. A couple different places. Um, I I know it's been it, it sort of it crops up in contracts with that authors sign with publishers. Mm. Um, some authors, you know, want a clause in there see it saying that you know very reasonably that you know AI their work won't be used to sort of train any AI or the like. Um, and you know we we've seen like in twenty twenty three some really big legal challenges brought against OpenAI and. Mm-hmm. Um, similar by the Authors Guild. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see that unfold, just this sort of protracted legal battle in uh, in the year ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's time to actually start talking about some hopeful stuff, because like this has been <laughs> a lot of problems. Uh, so let's start talking about some of the bright points. Jen, what are the bright points? What are the things that give you hope, that keep you writing? You're, you're 11 books in into your career. You keep going, keep, keep doing this. What motivates you? <laughs> Um, I, I had a really long think about this, but really what has motivated me from the very beginning and continues to get me out of bed in the morning yeah. um, is the possibility that either I'm going to publish uh, a story we haven't heard before from an author, from an underrepresented community that burns a hole in my soul. Like I have to, uh, this is what's eternally motivating for me. And what is so exciting for me is that every season, every spring and fall book season, I see these new books by authors. I don't know um, these stories that I could never have predicted or imagined. And it is the most exciting, wonderful, lovely thing. Mm. Um, And if that's a part of what my career is, if I also get to write a story that people haven't heard before, that's going to be the very best thing. And I think we're going to continue to see that as publishing changes, um, as people have more opportunities to tell their stories. And I think that's the great thing. Taja, you're an author. You've written a book called It's So Good, Some of My Best Friends, Essays on Lip Service. Um, You you got another one on the way. What motivates you to keep going in this industry? Um... I think the the thing that keeps me going is truly literary community. Hmm. Um, And I mean that in, in two senses, both, you know, the, the writers that I 
have been able to meet and be in community with and commiserate with about, you know, all the bad stuff we've been talking about. Um, but also, you know, to share work and to hype each other up. Um, I think, you know, as we see the um, splintering of like social media platforms and the decline of books coverage, there's become, you know, among my writer friends, a sort of, there's a, a kind of greater understanding that, you know, we're all we've got in some sense. We are there to support one another's work to, you know, help elevate it and bring it to, uh, bring it to its readers. And that brings yeah. me to the second group of, you know, literary community members that are super important to me, which is, which is readers. Like I, it has been mm. such a privilege to be able to meet and connect with them as a result of publishing this book. And, you know, as I, as I gear up for um, the release of my paperback next month, then, you know, <laughs> here we go with the promo cycle again. It's really, it, it's the idea of bringing the book to, uh, to more readers and connecting with people that way that really keeps me going. So we're going to do one minute to each of you to talk about, you know, the thing that you're most excited about. We're going to share the books that you're most excited to read this year. Magda, kick us off. What are you excited about? Yeah, I mean, lots of things. And I feel like Jen and Taja are probably going to have great fiction and nonfiction recs. So I'm going to go rogue. Whoa. I am a poet. <laughs> so I'm going to recommend go. a poetry collection yeah. that I'm yeah. so hyped for. Um, and that is Bluff by Dennis Smith, which is going to come out on August 20th, I believe, yeah. of this mm. year. Um, I would describe myself as a Dennis Smith stan. Um, you know, if Dennis Smith has 10,000 fans, I'm one of them. <laughs> 1,000 fans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this book is their comeback after a two-year creative hiatus. Yeah. Um, and it's an examination of a lot of things. Uh, Smith's relationship to their hometown of Minneapolis, mm. which of course was the epicenter of protest um, in 2020 yeah. after the murder of George Floyd. Um, and it's also an examination of like the value of art and the function of the poet uh, in a time where we are dealing with so many intersecting crises. And I think it can be really hard to build up a kind of artistic resilience and I just, I can't wait, dude. Like 2020's Homie, which was their last collection, it went double platinum in my house. Like if that was an album, <laughs> it would have gone double platinum. Um, yeah, yes. I, I am a devourer of their work. I think they're a master of their craft. So I'm really looking forward to it. What I liked is, as you say, your recommendation, Taj just started clapping because I was like, oh, <laughs> yes. solidarity yes. with the recommendation. Okay, Taja, quick See, to you. There's that community that she was talking exactly. about earlier. 100%. 100%. Taja, what's your pick? Uh, I have two. Okay. Um, in February, we're getting a new book by Leslie Jameson, Master of Nonfiction, um, which is her first memoir. Super exciting. It's called mm. Splinters. Um, it is a memoir of uh, her marriage to another writer um, and uh, her divorce and uh, the early years of motherhood. Um, Leslie Jameson is somebody who I love that she has a lot of big feelings, but always, you know, never lets herself off the hook, takes a really kind of surgical approach. Um, second book coming out later in the year in September is, um, Manel Matani's May It Have a Happy Ending, um, which is based on a beautiful essay that she wrote in The Walrus about, uh, finding her voice as a radio host as her mother lost, lost her voice, um, mm. and, uh, eventually passed away from, from cancer. Um, beautiful book, really excited for it. And I was really lucky to read an early copy. I love I love talking to literary people because they all start nodding at the same moment. Like, yeah, absolutely <laughs> that. Jen, what about you? What's your recommendation? 
Uh, I have three, but I'll be really quick. Okay, Salman Rushdie has Salman Rushdie has a new book coming out called Knife Meditations After an Attempted Murder, in which he writes about the time he got stabbed into it. Uh, Judith Butler, Who's Afraid of Gender, which is a follow-up to Gender Trouble, her groundbreaking book uh, from 30 years ago. And Michael Andachi, who has not published a book in a very long time, or poetry, has a poetry collection coming out called A Year of Last Things, all on my list. Oh, my God. I mean, first of all, we get three recommendations from you that you fit into 30 seconds. It's like you've been doing this a minute. <laughs> hey, I appreciate all of you guys being here. Thank you so much for this. I'm now looking forward to this year. I'm going to go and mark my calendar with all the books you've chosen. Jen, Taja, Magda, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here. Thank, thank you. you. This is wonderful. Of course. Listen, Jen Sukfong Lee is in Burnaby, B.C. Magda Muladu is in Edmonton. And Taja Eisen is in Marfa, Texas. And that is it for the podcast today. Remember, you can listen to this show anytime you like, wherever you get your podcasts. And also on Instagram at CommotionCBC. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. I'll see you tomorrow. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.